Hey, everybody. How's it going? Yeah? All right, good. You excited to be at camp? Yeah? Ready to be here? All right, awesome. Uh, my name's Jeff, uh, and I have been speaking here as long as some of you have been alive, which is kind of like a crazy thing. So I love coming here. I love speaking. I love, I love students. I really do. You know, I really believe that if y'all can kind of grab on to what God's word is trying to communicate, I'm telling you, so many things are out there communicating to you. And this is just kind of a moment to kind of go, ah, slow down. Everybody take a breath and just go, we got to learn some stuff, grow into some stuff, confront ourselves. It's really good. Look in the mirror and go, what's up? Like, what's happening inside of us? Why do I keep making these decisions? Why does my life seem to not be able to figure out? Who is God? What's going on? I don't understand. Like, this is a great place uh, to deal with that. It's a great place to fall apart. It's a great place to be rebuilt. And that's why I love what happens up here week in and week out as we present God's word. And we just say, Spirit of the living God, would you speak? Would you speak through your word? Would you speak through the band? Would you speak through the speakers? Would you speak through the counselors and pastors and everybody up here, God? Would you, you speak through your creation? Like he's speaking to you. And so I'm really, really excited uh, to be a part of that. So uh, here's what we're going to do. If you have your Bible, Ephesians 4 is where we're going to hang out. And verse 17 in particular, here's what I'd like you to do. Bible, our smartphone, I want you to take that verse and I just want you to read it over and over. Uh, maybe you have a little journal. Maybe what are some things that God's showing to you before we even talk what is he showing to you? So I'm going to give you a couple minutes, and I just want you to sit with that verse, Ephesians 4, verse 17, okay? Ephesians 4, 17, I'm going to give you like a couple minutes. Just sit with the passage. I believe the Spirit of God is going to speak to you as you read his word. Ephesians 4, 17. <clears throat> now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. This is the word of God, and everybody said? Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we love you. We're so grateful, so grateful, so grateful to be alive, so grateful that we woke up this morning, so grateful that we didn't fly off that cliff on the way up here. Uh, so grateful for the snow that reminds us of how you've covered us and how you love us and new creation is all around us and it's happening moment after moment and thank you that you use your creation to speak to us. The birds, you speak to us. The wind, you speak to us. Your word, you speak to us. And so would you do that uh, tonight? Would you speak through your word 
Would you speak through each other, the learning, the growing? And would you be glorified in all we do? In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, amen. Uh, so my name's Jeff. Uh, like I told you, I actually live in Phoenix, Arizona. So snow? No, we don't have that uh, in Phoenix. Uh, we have a lot of warm weather, but we don't have snow. It's up in the mountains, but not in the city. Um, but uh, I uh, went to Moody Bible Institute. I got married when I was 21, so I always joke. Like, I got married, and I had a degree in one hand, and then I had a son in the other hand. So I started off my, like, ministry experience going like, I'm a 22-year-old guy who's just trying to figure it out. So my very first youth group was a junior high youth group. Any junior hires in the house? Yeah? Okay, give me a woot-woot. Thank you. So junior high youth ministry, I love junior hires. In fact, I've been speaking up here for a long time, mainly, primarily to junior hires. I really love junior hires. Um, so my first youth group was in north of Chicago, uh, and, and I just wanted to come in, and I wanted to make a difference, and I wanted to impress, and I, was, I, I, mean, I had this passion inside of me to just preach God's word and, and do something great. Like, I just wanted to do something right with my life, and so I, uh, I came up, and I, you know, I'm new at the church, and I want to impress, and so I'm like, I came up with this great idea, this amazing youth idea. I was going to be an outreach night, invite all your friends, and here's what the idea was. Uh, our church was like in a gym, and so what I said uh, to all our volunteers is like, look, I want to blow up like a thousand balloons, and I want to put them in the center of the gym, okay? And then I want teams on four corners, and then on like go, they will run, and grab the balloons, bring them back to the corner, and then it's like you try to play assassin. You try to pop the balloons, and at the end of it, whoever has the most balloons in their corner wins. Sounds easy, right? Sounds like awesome game. But then I was like, no, 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 I'm here to impress. I got to step it up. And so I was like, I know what I'll do. I'll turn off all the lights. I'll turn the strobes on at 11 and have the music just blaring like metal, blaring at the top of the lungs. And then they'll run in, get the balloons and then go. It sounds like a great idea. So Here's what I did. Okay, everybody in the corner, uh, everybody's in their corner, uh, uh, everybody excited, everybody's ah, everybody's screaming, everybody's super excited. Are you guys ready? Okay, on your marks. Okay, lights, click. Get set. Strobes, da, 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 da. Go, music, up to 11. And the moment I said go, I went, this is a very, very bad plan. Because junior boys have, in their brain, something doesn't connect. They just see red, right? They just see go, right? And so they all run to the middle in the pitch black with strobe lights. And it was like, crash, these kids like mangled bodies all over the ground. Like they don't have an e-brake when they come to the center. Like there's other human beings, they just smashed into each other and like kids are laying on the floor and bleeding. This sweet little girl came up to me and she's like, oh, oh my gosh, I got hurt. And I was like, what happened? And literally a flat from her head was like open and she's bleeding all over the floor. This boy runs up to me and he's like, I think I'm hurt. And he opened up his mouth and his teeth were sticking through the top of his lip. I had the emergency, all the ambulances show up. We have to call all the parents. Like we're mopping up blood, right? And I'm like, what happened? This was gonna be epic. This is gonna be the, like the crown jewel of my ministry. Look what I've done. Look what I've created. I am your youth pastor. And I murdered them all. I killed them all, right? 
And isn't it interesting? I find it so interesting that, that we're kind of wired that way. Kind of wired to believe that what we conjure up in our brains is truth. That we're in control. And we're going to impress. We're going to make a difference in this world. And we're going to crush. And then we're going to dominate most of us grow up wanting to be a somebody, and we want to make our mark in the world. We want to be remembered. And what happens is this, is that our value has been placed in the hands of a sinful humanity instead of the hands of a loving God. Give me affirmation, people. I'm going to impress the people instead of going, you love me, you see me, you know me, you cared for me, you put breath in my lungs, you existed me. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, oh God. No. It's all about the people. It's all about making an impression. And it all goes bad. It starts with us. We're the problem. You know, I find it so interesting in this period of time that the term you do you is like a thing. Can I just say this bluntly? That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You do you. Oh, you like to kick puppies? You do you. Go kick you some puppies. You want to step on a kitten? You do you. You know what I'm saying? You do you. What's wrong with this guy? Has he got a problem with animals? No, it could be anything. You can be anybody you want to be as long as you can dream it up in your head. Hey, but you do you. Your truth. Oh, it's your truth. How foolish. How's your truth working out? How's your truth working out in this time and age right now? It's not working out. Kids are dying. Highest rates of suicide of all time. Highest levels of medication of all time. I'm telling you, you do, you does not work. Some of you have embraced it as a philosophy in which you live by. You've rejected those who try to help you see this good God who loves you, who sees you, who knows you. And actually he's bringing your life into accountability. That's what a good God does, he loves. And his love calls us to find out who we really are. But so often you're seeking your own truth and your own value based upon what you believe or think about yourself instead of going, it's you. It's you. It's you. And I don't know about you, I'm sick of the high levels of depression, the shame. It makes me sick. I'm a dad, I got a 22-year-old, a 19-year-old, and a 12-year-old daughter. And I'm just sad. Because we're missing it, we're missing who God is. We're missing, we're placing all our value in all the wrong thing, in an algorithm that's pumping you lies. And we are embracing that. We don't even know what friendship is anymore because a button has told us and redefined what that is a comment, a like, and it's crushing us. And so I hope over the next few days that we reform that, we reconnect that dot. And God's word is going to speak to you bluntly. Pastor Paul, you know that Paul was a pastor, right? 
He wrote the book of Ephesians. Right? He's a pastor. He's a person. He's not just some static author. Like, he's a real person. Paul uh, was this zealous, educated Jew. I mean, the dude, like, killed people because he was so zealous for God. I want you to know, he was zealous for God. Zealous. He was zealous for the law. He wanted people to do the right thing. He wanted us to really honor God for who he is and how holy and high and lifted up. So zealous to the point that he went sideways. It's actually started killing God's creation. Like, not a good plan, right? But he was zealous, and he wanted to do something about it. But what happened? He was radically saved. On the road to Damascus, he was saved. The risen Jesus met him, and he went blind, but finally saw. And then he was radically discipled. He was sent away to Mount Sinai. Anybody know what Mount Sinai is? Remember the Ten Commandments, that whole thing? Yeah, Paul was discipled there. It says he was discipled by Jesus. Not a bad disciple guy, right? Like he was literally discipled by Jesus for almost a decade. Went back to his home in Tarshish where, sorry, he was discipled for, I think, for four years and then went back for 10 years in Tarshish where he then lived out this thing that God had been teaching him as a tent maker, practicing his theology in the working and the doing And then he goes on mission. He radically serves. He radically serves. So radically saved, radically discipled, radically serves. He wrote 13 out of the 27 books that we have in the New Testament. Scholars believe that he launched about at least 14 churches. He went on at least four missionary journeys. And he started these churches, this ecclesia, a body with Jesus at the center coming up against cultural norms, preaching Christ crucified. He is the most talked about and studied, one of the most talked about studied people in the history of the world. And he preaches Christ. And he preaches to uh, Christians. And he preaches to non-Christians. And he just wants you to see Jesus. Why? Because Jesus met him. He understood who God was, but he had disconnected it from Jesus. And when he found that they are one and the same, Father, Son, Spirit, he then sent the rest of his life proclaiming that good news all around the world. And so as he comes to this church in Ephesus, he's, he had been building it for two years, founding this church Caring for them, preaching to them, loving them, pastoring them. You can imagine, like maybe you think about your pastor. People coming in and saying, Paul, this is going on. Paul, my family has exiled me because of I believe in Jesus. I'm not welcome in the temple anymore because I'm a person of the way. And Paul would pastor them, and then he left to go launch other churches. Well, now, in the book of Ephesians, Paul is in prison. And he's writing to this beloved church that he loves that he pastored, that he cared for. And what is it that he is saying to them? And that's why I would say, as you read through the book of Ephesians, and you should, he's communicating his heart as he sits in prison, joyfully suffering for the Lord. And what is he thinking about? Not himself, not his truth. No, he wants them to see Jesus. 
He wants them to be a community unified for the glory of God that many people would come to know them. And he preaches this word to them in in chapter 4, verse 17. Now I say this. Now I say, you can almost hear it as if he's standing in front of them. You can hear the letter as it's being read out loud to this small community. Now I say, this is what Pastor Paul is saying. Everybody listen up. This is what Paul says. He says, and he testifies in the Lord. And it's almost like he's like, please don't walk as the Gentiles do. Which is really interesting because they're Gentile. Their nationality, they're a Gentile nation. <laughs> he's not coming up against their ethnicity. He's saying, no, no, something transformational has happened to you. And I'm speaking to that part. Don't be like that old self. Don't do those old things. Don't go down those old pagan paths. Don't, don't keep embracing this, you do you, your truth. Don't do it. It's crushing you. That's what the Gentiles do. And he says this, it's brutal. The futility of it is just mind-blowing. Please don't do this. I am testifying to you about the Lord. Uh, my son Cooper is here. Uh, he, and, uh, yeah. and uh, Cooper is 19 years old. And uh, Cooper has a, he has a Toyota Prius. And it, doesn't have, and it doesn't have any paint on it, really. Okay, It's, it's pretty ugly. And so... Um, so Patty and I, my wife and I are like driving the car and we're like, man, something's not right. Coop is, what's going on with this car? Nothing's great. You sure? You taking care of it? Oh yeah, take great care of it. Okay, you sure? You're not, you're not doing anything stupid with it? No, man. Toyota Prius, super safe, economical, right? You gotta love a Prius. Nothing will embarrass a high school kid more than a Toyota Prius, right? Nothing will kill your status faster, right? That was Patty and I's plan. My wife and I planned and it worked, right? So... You sure? You sure not doing it? This thing feels a little shaky. No, no, no. We take it to the mechanic. Mechanic sits down with us and he goes like this. This is weird. I've never seen this before. But I'm pretty sure somebody's been drifting in this car. (laughs) Drifting in a Toyota Prius. How stupid does that sound, right? Drifting. Apparently... Apparently, if you want to drift in a Toyota Prius, you stick cookie sheets under the back tires. No, Dad. I'll take great care of the car, right? Well, $1,800 later, have to redo the whole rear axle and braking system and everything else. Yo, bro, we got to talk. Because something's, oh, well, you know, my friends and I, blah, 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 blah. Like, you got to be kidding me. This is ridiculous. Like, Paul's like, I'm not like that. I'm not lying. I'm not fibbing. I'm testifying. And I'm testifying to Jesus. I want to testify about who he is. A testify means this. Do you remember in the court of law, if you're standing before them, they have you do what? Anybody know? They take out a Bible. You put your hand on it and you say what? I give the truth. I swear to give the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. This is what Paul is literally saying to this church. I am going to give you the truth. I want to give you the whole truth. I want to give you nothing but the truth because, honestly, he's God, and I'm not. 
and you need to know him, and you need to hear about him. And I need you to hear this truth. And what he is saying is, as I am a living testimony to the powerful work that God can do through his son Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross, I preach Christ crucified is what Paul says. I want you to hear this truth, church. I want you to live this truth out because it's costing me my life, my comfort. And see, that's what we're all about, though, right? As long as it's comforting, as long as it's easy and accommodating, I'll take that theology on. I'll take that on. I'll wear that. As long as it accommodates my worldview, I'll take that in. And Paul's like, nah, it doesn't work that way. I'm going to preach to you Jesus. Because Jesus is going to look vastly different than the rest of the culture around you. This Gentile culture that wants to pull you away and convince you that your mind is the most important thing that you have. It's not. There was this idea of Gnosticism. This idea of Gnosticism is that the mind, your thoughts, created this spiritual, it was the truest thing about you. All the things of earth are, are, are wrong, meaning flesh. No, you just do whatever you feel, whatever you think. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. Let me preach to you who Jesus is. And what he says is, I have tasted and I have seen that the Lord is good. I was educated. I did all the right stuff. I followed after him. I followed after God zealously. I was educated under the best teacher, he's basically saying in that passage, I'm a super Jew in Philippians. I'm, a, I'm, like, I'm like, if there was a Jewish action figure, it would have been Paul. He'd be like, yeah, look at me, right? Like, he was literally like, I am the best Jew there ever has been. And he says this, and I lay it all down. It's garbage, rubbish, in comparison to knowing I want only Jesus. And so he comes to them. He goes, I want to be a testimony, and I want to say to you, and I want to testify, and I want to give you the truth that Jesus is God. And if that is true, we better get ready, right? Because Gentiles are just looking at themselves. Gentiles are all about themselves and what they think and what Scripture would say about them. And those of you who think that way is you're foolish. You're foolish. You're deceived, And what I'm seeing in students and adults, it's just foolishness. And it's crushing your souls, hurting you and so many other people when Jesus has come to bring you life and life to the full. When I was a kid, I, I drove into Chicago. It was my very first time. I always want to go to Chicago. How many, anybody ever been to Chicago? Anybody again in Chicago? Okay. What, what, if you're going to go to Chicago, what was one thing you'd want to see, Right? Sears Tower. So I'm driving down the Dan Ryan, and there's a point, and I was coming from Ohio because that's where I grew up. No one should really grow up in Ohio, but anyway, that's another story. So i driving away from Ohio, which I've been trying to do my whole life, uh, to Chicago, right? And I'm coming down the Dan Ryan, and I'm super stoked because I can't, I'm like, yes, right? And, and, and I remember having the Sears Tower in my fingers, right, like this, and I remember it getting smaller or bigger and bigger. And then we came around and we went down on Wells Avenue. And I remember sitting down on Wells Avenue, right? 
And I was sitting down on Wells Avenue and I, I, I stood before the Sears Tower where I felt so powerful. How many of you have ever done this, right? Right, you feel so powerful. And I, I went down on Wells Avenue. My dad parked the cart. We stood before the Sears Tower and I leaned back. And actually, I laid on the ground and I couldn't see the top. It was so vast. This is what Paul is trying to do. Look Look at God. Look at his transcendence. He is high and lifted up. He is beyond all things. He is the creator of all things. He is the uncreated creator. Love exists because God exists, not because we created it. All of life, all of reality exists because God created that. That's why the Bible starts off with, in the beginning, let us all get it straight, God. God did it. God breathed it. God created it. God made it. God loved it. God said it was good. Good exists because God exists. Good exists because God exists. Everything that exists because of him and who he is and out of his very nature. None of you can create yourselves. I mean, put this in, like if you want to understand the transcendence, omniscient God, just Take this as just a small sampling. There are 143 trillion synapses that allow you to wake up every single day in your brain. 143 trillion synapses are firing to make everything go. Cool? Anybody make their lungs breathe this morning? Anybody make their heart pound? No, you didn't. You just woke up and went, whoa, check that out. It's pretty cool, right? 143 trillion synapses that allow you to, to, to live. God is in control of every one of them, and he's in control of every human being, 8 billion human beings. So if you just want a snapshot of how small we are and how great he is and what a creator he is, is you don't exist unless he speaks it into existence. He is the giver of life, and he is also the one that allows us to go to sleep, to die. You don't control it. Oh, but if we could, you can't. Isn't it interesting? We think we're so powerful, so smart. You'll die if you don't sleep. How pathetic is that? If you don't drink water, you'll die. It doesn't matter if you have a billion dollars or if you're the smartest person in the whole world. You will die if you don't have water, if you don't have food, which is only telling us this. We're not in control. God is. And I'd rather have him be in control of me. I am, I'm not good at that. <laughs> I promise you. He's in control. He's above it all. But what our culture wants is this it got a kind of palpable, predictable, domesticated God, right? That's what we really want. And we believe because we don't understand him, we can't figure him out, then we reject him. I don't know about you. I don't want a God I can figure out. Otherwise, guess what? I'm God. I want a God that I go, you're wholly apart from me. Like Paul, I want to go, who can understand the mind of God? Who among you can understand his ways? I can't. 
I've been doing this Christian dance my whole life. The longer I come to know about God, the more I understand I don't know about God. And the more I don't understand I know about God, it just makes me worship him. Makes me realize how small I am and how much I need him. And that's why your culture's lying to you. I think a lot of adults are lying to you. Your friends are lying to you. It's about your truth, your thought, your idea, your identity. It's not. It's not. He is holy, holy, holy. And we have this interesting thing where we think we're in control, right? We go something like this. We go, oh, but, but God really, like God needs me. God, God needs me. No, he does not. God is completely self-sufficient. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. We go, well, God needs to make me happy. God doesn't owe you anything. He's God. How about a little gratitude? I'm alive, right? That's a big deal. I don't know about you. I'm stoked. I got up this morning. I was like, stoked to be alive. Anybody excited about being alive, right? How about some gratitude about where that came from, right? How about some gratitude about who needs to be worshipped as a result of that reality? You're not in control. You can't do it. Oh, but he needs to make me happy. No, he doesn't. He doesn't owe you anything. God needs to accommodate my truth. Otherwise, like, he's pretty judgy. No, no, no. Here's, let me tell you what God says. I am that I am. I am that I am. You'll either worship me or reject me. But I am self-sufficient. I am that I am. That is to say is this. I am life. I am all of reality. And until you and I come to that reality, to the truth that Paul is trying to speak to this church that he is wholly set apart, we will never find true life and life to the full that Jesus offers. You won't. That's why Paul's preaching this. Don't think like them. It's ridiculous. It's foolishness. We want him to be manageable, and he's not. He's holy. A.W. Tozer has this great quote. He says this. I want you to listen to this. Holy is the way God is. To be holy, he does not conform to a standard. He, listen, he is that standard. The standard exists because God exists. He is absolutely holy with an infinite, incomprehensible fullness of purity that is incapable of being other than it is. Because he is holy, his attributes are holy. That is, whatever we think of belonging to God must be thought of as holy, God is holy. And he has made holiness the moral condition necessary to the health of his universe. Since temporary presence in the world only accents this, whatever is holy is healthy. Evil is moral sickness that must end ultimately in death. We are futile. That's what Paul's telling. This way of thinking that everybody's thinking is real sexy right now. It's futile. It's death. And guess what? Here's the thing. It's working. It's working. It's working. And it's crushing me. 
It's crushing the heart of the Lord. And it was crushing Paul, who's trying to pastor this community. Just like, stop living this way. So who do you think God is? Is God just this old man in a rocking chair? He's so far away that he's this cosmic killjoy trying to end all your fun. Is he just angry? He's just this angry moral monger who's coming after you. That's what I was taught my whole life. See a genie in a bottle, I just gotta, come on, toss me up some love, right? Give me what I want and I'll worship you. Maybe some of you just be like, I don't even think he exists. I would love for you to see him as holy, transcendent, uncreated creator, high and lifted up. But here's the thing I want you to see, and this is what Paul is being a testimony to. This is what he's testifying to. That God moved into the neighborhood. He who knew no sin became sin so that we would be the righteousness of God. The word became flesh, and what did he do? He dwelt among us, which means this. He felt what you feel. He hurts like you hurt. He cried like you cry. He got angry like we get angry. He was frustrated just like we get frustrated. He felt what we feel so that he could stand before all of us and go, I am a God that knows I am a God that sympathizes with humanity. He's not holding it out by the neck. He's rescuing it, redeeming it back into himself. How dare we mock him by thinking that we're in control, by thinking that we are the ones that choose our destiny. We do not. He demands our worship because he is high and lifted up, but he came near to those who would accept him came to seek and save the lost, and he loves you. Everything was created for the glory of God. And he breathed life into you and into me. And what Isaiah 64, 8 is trying to communicate is this. It's asking you the question, what do you do? And here's what we do in reality of who God is, is this. But now, O oh Lord, you are our Father. I hope and I know some of you have really heavy father wounds. I do. God's not your daddy. He's your God. He's your heavenly father, holy. And I'm sorry that you've been hurt by your earthly fathers, but he is your heavenly, whole, full, and faithful, loving father. And he says this, and I, Isaiah says this, you are our father, we are your clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hands. When you come and say, form me, Lord, because you're high and lifted up and you're holy and you're transcendent, but you're near to me, you came near to me, form me, use me, make me. Not like the Gentiles do where they think they're self-sufficient. No, I want you. I want you. And that's why Paul is constantly calling them back. Please don't be like the Gentiles. Please, it's only going to bring you death. I, uh, I have a confession. And some of you are not going to like this. I, um, I don't like Disney. I don't like Disneyland. I just don't. I'm sorry. 
People say it's the happiest place on earth, and I think that's a lie. I think that's a lie. Because if, you have, if you're a parent of little children, and you have to take them to Disney, I promise you, for your par- as a parent, that is not the happiest place on the earth. i got to drag these kids all over this park. i got to pay $45 for a chicken leg or turkey leg or whatever. i got to stand in line forever while they're like, I'm hungry, right? It's hot out. Everyone's, right? I don't understand Disney. I don't get it. I don't understand, right? I'm like, put me on a beach, right? Put me in the water, tramping around a whole park with a kid that's whining, right? Not fun, not reaction, not relaxing. I need a vacation from that vacation. Can I get an amen, right? So, uh, so I'm not a fan of Disney. Um, so, um, so we go to Disney, we take the kids, and okay, oh, it's so cute to watch them. Sure, that's great. Yeah, it's so great. They're a joy. Yeah, I get it. Um, so we go to Disney, and we're doing the thing all day long, um, and and we get to the end in the parade. How many of you have been to the parade, the Disney parade at the end? You gotta stay at the end. You gotta stay at the end of the parade. So we go to the parade, right? Go to the end. And Cooper, my son who I was telling you about, right? He goes, Dad, I wanna get on your shoulders, right? I wanna sit on your shoulders. And I was like, no. I think he was like four. I was like, no, you're not getting on my shoulders, right? That's why I got this thing. It has wheels on it. Scoots you around, right? It's awesome, right? Beautiful invention. So, um, so we, we go on, uh, go on the, uh, or he said, can I please come on your shoulders? And I was like, uh, I wish I was a good dad. But I was like, oh, yeah, fine. So he gets on my shoulders. And he's on my shoulders and he's like moving around. I'm like, dude, just chill, right? It's like making it so much heavier. I'm so exhausted. I've put in at least a 10K around the park, right? I'm tired. This kid's moving around. All of a sudden, super still. And then, like, he puts his arms on the top of my head, right? So now my head's like, I'm like, all of this is no fun, right? And, like, puts his So he's on top of me, on top of my head, and, and, and then it's like really still. And I was like, what's going on? And I was like, he fell asleep. And I was like, he fell asleep. Oh my gosh, this is the worst, right? And I immediately started complaining. And then I had this thought. This child trusts me enough to fall asleep on my shoulders. He could fall to his death. But he trusts that I love him. He trusts that I'm in control. He trusts that I got him. He trusts me enough to fall asleep and to know that I'm going to get him home, put him in bed, take care of him. So he fell asleep on top of me. And it made me think, do I believe that about God, that he loves me so much that I can just fall asleep and trust him, rest, not fall asleep like out of life, but just rest in his plan and his will that he's got me and that he knows. You know, my, my kids, it's been, one of the beautiful things is when they honor me as their father because they go, you, t- you, you deserve that. You, you took care of us. You were trustworthy. How much more is that true of God who knits you together in your mother's womb, who says to you, you have a purpose. You have a purpose. You matter. I see you. Trust me, worship me, live for me, and I will bring you life like you never understood, life and life to the full. Everybody else is a robber. Everybody else is trying to to steal and destroy from you. I want to bring you life. 
So what would it look like for you to just, maybe just tonight, just think about the idea of resting, resting in the goodness and the glory and the holiness of God the Father and trusting him. What would it look like for you to really start leaning into that as a, instead of what the Gentiles do, which they go, everything you need to know is all up here and whatever you're thinking and feeling. Father God, we love you. We thank you. We, man, I just, I feel so unworthy to talk about you in this way. I'm doing the best I can. I just, I feel like I've left out way too much. <laughs> There's just so much. I just, I know your spirit will continue to speak to them. I know we got a lot of fun going on this week, and Father God, you are the author of fun. And you love when we laugh and enjoy presence with you, presence with one another. So I pray as these students just go out and have a blast and have fun, God, that they would see you, experience you, know you. We believe you're doing a transcendent thing this, in this moment and in the moments to come. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Everybody says amen.